0: Today is Friday, November 15th, 2019. On this day in 2002, Myra Hindley, co-conspirator in the notorious Moore's Murders, died in prison. The murders remained an intense topic of conversation in the British media. Over three decades after her sentence, Hindley's death provoked an intense response from the people of Manchester. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Parcast Original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering the death of Myra Hindley, who alongside her domestic partner, Ian Brady, was responsible for a series of murders in and around Manchester, England. After 36 years behind bars and multiple pleas for release, Myra Hindley died in a West Suffolk hospital of respiratory failure. Before we discuss the horrific details and fallout of Hindley and Brady's crimes, let's explore the events leading up to Hindley's demise on November 15, 2002. Myra was having difficulty reading. She clutched the papers in front of her eyes, but the words blurred on the page. She blinked and attempted to focus. She knew every word of what she'd written, but she had to be sure. This stack of papers was the key to her escape. A spasm ran from her chest down to the very tips of her fingers. She was used to chest pains. This bland prison diet was barely fit for human consumption and definitely wasn't doing her any good. But these pangs were something far worse than indigestion. She gritted her teeth. She was so close, she couldn't fall ill now, not when she was so near freedom. Myra was still upright when the prison guards found her. They could tell from her shivering and barely suppressed whimpers that she was not well. Staying as calm as she could, she told them that she wanted to see the warden. She had something to give him. The guards escorted her out, but instead of going to the warden's office, they led her to an ambulance. Before they shut the door, she forced her statement into one of the guards' hands. Myra's breath rasped in and out. Every inhalation grew harder and harder. Today, the drive to West Suffolk Hospital felt far longer than the usual 20 minutes. The road stretched out behind the ambulance into the darkness. Myra found herself thinking back to the night when it began, when her life took its inexorable turn. 39 years earlier, Myra hadn't thought she would end up in prison. All she'd wanted to do was appease the man she loved. And what he wanted was to commit the perfect murder. It was a strange night, the first time they killed someone. Myra drove the van. Ian was behind her on his motorbike. When he spotted the perfect target, he'd flash his headlights and she would pull over. Myra turned onto Gorton Lane. The street was strangely quiet. A girl came into sight just ahead of them on the sidewalk. She must have been only eight years old. Behind her, Brady's lights flashed. Myra gripped the steering wheel and took a deep breath in. The girl grew in her view until they were practically alongside her, and then Myra's breath caught in her throat. She knew this girl. Her parents lived next door to Myra's mother. Myra pressed her foot on the accelerator and drove past the child, who did not even look up. Myra looked to the rearview mirror. Ian's headlights were still there. She couldn't see his expression through the glare. She hoped he wouldn't be mad. He had to understand, if they knew the victim, the murder could be traced back to them. It would not be the perfect crime. She was sure Ian would understand. And if he didn't, Myra would face his wrath. Not this little girl. Myra's ambulance came to a sudden stop, shaking her out of her memory and back into the horrible present where she could barely breathe. As far as she knew, Ian was still in Ashworth. She was determined to outlive him. He had killed her chance of parole years earlier, but he would not stop her this time. Not once the warden saw what she had written. She would be free. Inside the hospital, this thought kept her going. She lost track of time. Had it been days or weeks, Doctors came and went in a hazy blur. They poked and prodded. And then they were joined by a priest. When Myra saw him, her blood ran cold. He was there to give her last rites. Up next, Myra Hindley's sentence comes to an end. Now back to the story. On November 15, 2002, 60-year-old Myra Hindley died in West Suffolk Hospital. She'd been admitted earlier that day for respiratory issues. As she was escorted from her prison, she handed over a series of handwritten documents to one of the guards. They were an exhaustive catalogue of physical and psychological abuses Ian Brady, her former lover, had inflicted upon her to force her to aid him in the Moore's murders. She hoped it would persuade a justice to commute her life sentence. It was not the first time Hindley had attempted to secure her own freedom, but it would be the last. The Moore's murders were one of the most notorious serial killings in British history. Between 1963 and 1965, Ian Brady and Myra Hindley kidnapped five minors ranging from 10 to 17 years old. All of them were later killed, and at least four of them were sexually assaulted by Brady. Hindley's involvement in the killings remained unclear, even after both of the killers had been caught. Hindley maintained that Brady did the actual killing. For her part, she merely lured and trapped the miners. However, during the trial, a 16-minute tape recording of one of their victims was played. In it were the voices of the victim, Brady, and Myra Hindley as well. The recording indicated that Hindley treated the victim with callous disdain similar to that of her partner, who she insisted was the true mastermind. Myra Hindley was subsequently known by the press as the most evil woman in Britain. During her time in prison, she attempted to convince the public that she had reformed and felt guilt for her actions. But her frequent attempts to shorten her release were unsuccessful. Brady even wrote the Home Secretary to thwart her efforts for an early release. It appeared there was no love lost between them. Correspondence between Hindley and Brady ceased in 1971, and Hindley began a relationship with a female warden in her prison. Forensic psychologist Dr. Chris Cowley interviewed Ian Brady a number of times over the years. When asked how a couple could get away with these kind of murders in the 1960s, he said... In 1960s Britain, people did not kidnap and murder children for fun. It was simply beyond the realms of most people's comprehension. And this is why they managed to get away with it for so long. The body of their third victim, Keith Bennett, has never been found. It's believed he's buried somewhere in the moors, but without either Brady or Hindley to guide searches, finding the body seems practically impossible. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more information on the life of Myra Hindley, check out the ParCast original Serial Killers episodes on the Moore's murders or the Female Criminals episodes on Hindley herself. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Paul Mahler, Maggie Admire, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Robert Teamstra. I'm Vanessa Richardson.